Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. And a very warm welcome to Sean THFC, Sean suffering with Spurs. How you doing, mate? Thanks, thanks for joining me on, on Roll the Roost. Very well, mate. Looking forward to it. Loves talking about how depressed Tottenham make me. So. <laughs> well, let's let's let's. I'll tell you what. Let's let's plug suffering with Spurs first of all, mate. Because I've sort of started reading your stuff pretty recently. Uh, apologies, but you know it's just it's how Twitter works, isn't it? You just come across it. And I think it's like, you know, it seems to be article after article, you absolutely nail it, mate. And like we were joking beforehand, it's not like I'm a massive fan of Echo Chambers or anything, obviously not, but I just I sort of read your stuff and I think like, yeah, I like it because it's, it's like it's down the middle, mate. Like, you know, you're never sort of too brash to have really a, a, a kind of a strong opinion. No, that sounds wrong. It's like a, you're not polarised, right? You seem to sort of take everything as it comes on the fence like myself I guess people would call it yeah yeah um it's obviously it's kind of the way I am in real life as well politically as well I suppose just sort of down the middle I don't see the need for too much extremism on either side because um you tend not to you tend to be lost uh, if you if you have a good point to make then you tend not to be able to make it very well if you get too angry on either side so yeah, um, it's it's I've only I only started it uh, two and a half months ago. Um, I I did I went to uni. I'm 37 now, but when I was 21, I went to uni to study sport journalism. I ended up not completing that particular course, but um, yeah, I always wanted to get back into it, and it was just a matter of getting my head around doing it. And for the first sort of 10 or 15 articles, probably hundred people in total saw them and I knew about 50 of them so um, it was just about and I hadn't really I looked at my Twitter followers and sort of I had about six, seven, 600 at the time but when I looked through them about 500 of them hadn't used Twitter in about 10 years so um, it was just basically about sort of getting my name out there again and like what can I I would imagine could be quite annoying uh, going on people's feeds and commenting on on their posts with my uh, by just linking into my my blog, but um, it's worked out quite well recently. And in the last month or so, I've had sort of four and a half, five thousand views on it, which is nice. pretty good for a for a new blog. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And like you're saying, so I guess you've always just had that urge to to pursue that, right? And sometimes you just think, "Fuck it, I'm I'm just going to do it," right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've always liked writing. I used to when when Facebook statuses used to be a thing. Yeah, I used, yeah, yeah. I used to I used to write long drawn out Facebook statuses and they used to get quite a lot of traction so um, I think that sort of influenced me to carry on doing it and whenever I it's it's just a good way to vent really as I'm sure podcast podcasts are um, um but they take a they take a long time to write um, and I go back over them three or four times um just read well more than three or four times 10 15 times reading over them 
checking all the grammatical errors and rewriting, pretty much rewriting the original versions every time. But um, so when they get a lot of views and they get a lot of good feedback, it's great. But when they when when they don't, it's demoralising to say the least. Um, yeah. But you just have to keep going. Not everything's going to be a hit. So it's just about sort of zoning in on the right moment to put them out there and and reading the room really. Of course, that's it, though, isn't it, mate? You know, you, you kind of you have to take the rough of the smooth, and you, you you sort of know that when you're putting anything out into into the internet, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's just it's it's kind of the way of the beast. But in terms of uh, <laughs> positive feedback, if you're talking about that, you had some less than positive feedback because if anybody, you know, they might recognise your voice, mate. You were on Talksport not long ago as well, weren't you? And you got into you you were one half of the now sort of infamous <laughs> yeah Spurs fan. Like yeah, I don't know whatever it was. Spurs on Spurs on Talksport, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. I've said this last week to someone as well. It wasn't. That wasn't my intention. I didn't call up. I didn't even know that I was going to be sort of put against that guy. They obviously, as they do on White and Jordan, they love a bit of confrontation. Yeah. So they look for a way to put to sort of put you against each other. That wasn't my point. And, and because they put me against him, I didn't actually get to make the point that I wanted to make. Um, but I mean, yeah, he was just—he was the the worst example of someone trying to get their their point across because it was just anger and rage, and he wasn't <laughs> he, making he was any livid, actual. He? Yeah, he wasn't making any points. He just, and he, he was riling himself up as well. And, <laughs> and then by the time they put him, they let me speak, and I, I, I can only imagine they they muted him while I was speaking because I wouldn't imagine that he would have let me get a word in edgeways if it was just sort of voice against voice. But by the time it came back to him, he was just like, that's the problem with you, is that you, that's the problem with you lot, is that you weren't around in the 80s. I go, you're telling me that the problem with me <laughs> is that I wasn't, I'm not old enough. <laughs> that I don't remember the, I, and look, I was born in 1986. So obviously I, I'm sort of, my Spurs memory sort of starts from like 91, 92. Um, but yeah, this, I think that they just nostalgia is a wonderful thing, isn't it? And I think people people like to reminisce on things, and when they do, they often seem a lot better than they actually were. And but, yeah, because it was you were essentially. I think you were calling up to have a go about Conte, and he was saying it's not Conte; it's all Daniel Levy and all Levy, yeah. right? It was so it's that yeah. kind of thing. And it's so it's so strange. It, it got to this place with Conte, and I guess with probably the next manager, whoever it is, where. There seems to be this complete disconnect between the idea that you can criticise the person who's running the matters on a match day, the football manager, and the person running the like. You can be critical of one and still think the other one is bad. It doesn't need to be either or, you know. But the, the whole yeah. Conte argument became that that if you criticise Conte, you're somehow pro Levy. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's more of a reflect, reflection on society because that's just the way especially online, that's just the way it is. Everything's polarised and that goes from politics into football. Like you have to be on a side and if you, and it, and want a lot of people pick that side and if you dare to claim that it's anything other than that, then you're jumped on. And that's what I've realised, I think more as my Twitter and my um, blog's got a little bit more sort of traction is that you start getting abuse a lot more quickly than I used to. And there's just... And that's what you got there is that you just have these, there's there's just this thing where like you can believe that Levy is that Levy's the problem because I do believe he's the, look he's at the very top of the club so he's the source 
of the problems. He made, and he's the one who put Antonio Conte in position in the first place, which it was, look, we were all excited when it happened, but on reflection, it wasn't the best idea because we all know how it ends. And it, this idea that Spurs ruined Conte, Conte's done that at every single club he's ever been yeah, at. Yeah. He's last, he lasts two years because he's a combustible character. He gets annoyed about things that are out of his control. And he's basically, I mean, like he called out Roman Abramovich when he was at Chelsea, who's given, who and no Chelsea fan would ever call out Roman, Roman Abramovich because he's given them, un, he gave them unlimited funding for sort of 20 years. So if he can call out Abramovich, then he's not a good example to use as to why Levy's the problem, I don't think. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, is it? Because it's a, a particularly media shy chairman in somebody like Daniel Levy. You know, we we know his kind of his his thoughts are sparing at best, right? We get his usual address at the start and at the end of a season, and an occasional video on one of the social media channels. But he's not for somebody that is so focused upon. He's actually he's he's pretty quiet in his running of the club. So, like you say, that you would think that he would see somebody like Daniel, uh, like Daniel, like Antonio Conte, who has rightly, as you say, called out Roman Abramovich. That after giving him hundreds of millions of pounds, he called him out for not having spent enough. You think, yeah. why would you bring that to the club? That's that is. So when we hear about this due diligence and everything, that's a complete dereliction of duty, surely, to bring somebody yeah. like Conte in. But I, I, I think. The problem it seems to be is that the shiny surface level things seem to outweigh a lot of the real decision making at Tottenham. Let's bring it because I think Mourinho is a bit of an outlier. I think there's I think there's still a as loathe as I am to say, I can still see why Mourinho was brought in after Paul. Yeah, definitely. I get definitely. that one more so. But after having seen how that one went, then on to Nuno Espirito Santo. And then to land on Antonio Conte again after that. It, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one because he doesn't... Look, the difference, there's a massive difference between Mourinho and Conte. Is that Mourinho is, just has so much charisma and the way that he puts himself across is endearing in a way, whereas Conte just doesn't seem like the smartest bloke. He seems like... He, I'm sure he's got... Obviously, look, he's won... In, not, he hasn't won everywhere he's been, which is the narrative. He's won, he's won league titles. Three of them were at Juventus t- 10 years ago. One at Chelsea, one at He's a successful manager, but yeah. he's, not the sa- he's not the same. People put him, him as... They both play quite similar pragmatic football, but you could buy into what Mourinho was doing a little bit more because, yeah, he, he maybe just because he was more personable. Whereas Conte, I, I'm one of those people who watches all the press conferences and Conte's were just repetitive, like you wouldn't believe. And they, for, they, they just were the same answers to everything. The tech, the tactical aspect, the technical aspect. Just it just repeated, he just repeated himself constantly. So it, it just surprises me that Levy, he was desperate. Let's be honest, because Nuno was a disaster, and he was available. And I guess you always believe, like with anything, you might, you might be able to one the one you might be the one to be able to make the leopard change his spots. But it was it was very obvious. I mean, let's be on it. Everyone forgets this. Conte was sort of threatening to leave even after we got the Champions League. Last May, we were still unsure, and at that time, we were all like begging him to stay, weren't we? Yeah. Um, but what's that? Look, we forget. Obviously, life isn't all about football, and he's had a very tumultuous sort of last 
six or eight months of his life, which obviously could have changed his way of thinking. And that would have had an impact. But there's no explanation for why the team came out in August so different to the way they were playing at the end of last season. Of course, of course. So if we if we do steer this back to Levy and his decision-making, what do you think about what's going on right now? You know, we were in a, we're in a strange position where Stellini and the rest of Antonio Conte's backroom staff, barring his brother, are still in charge of the club. What we saw yesterday, well, the day before now, on the weekend, let's say, could have been any other game that we've been watching for the past season and a half under Antonio Conte. So, really, nothing has changed other than, as you quite rightly note to you there, the man that's doing the, the press conferences and particularly increasingly shouty, angry press conferences that he's been doing lately. Yeah. But what does that say of what the board are doing, what the people who are operating the club are, their understanding of, of, of this type of thing? Because it just seems, it seems so strange that we're, we're in this position now. And it seems even more strange that we have no real idea, no clear sense of who the manager, who the next manager will be, because we don't have that. We don't have a framework like Brighton have, for example, where they could lose Graham Potter and bring in another manager with a certain set of skills that they. Oh, don't say that! Don't say that! And would, kick off at you for that. Would, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that would that will fit into what they're doing, as opposed to at Tottenham, where we're hearing might be Julian Nagelsmann, could be a Pochettino return, or it might be Luis Enrique. Three yeah. managers who are all probably quite different in their approach to the game, but that's what we are, right? We're just still this kind of blank canvas. And it seems yeah, just... so strange that we've gotten to this place after, because I, I do think that Daniel Levy has had a really firm grip on everything to do with the club for a very long time. And I, and I know people hate to give him any sort of credit, but I'm, I'm definitely of that opinion that he's done a lot right by the club. We were one of the most exciting and progressive teams in the Premier League for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. People just forget. The, the problem, that's just going back to that, to yeah. the whole Levy Out Brigade, like, which obviously, look, the, the Levy Out Brigade are the sort of staunch Levy is the problem. If you don't agree with me, you're mental type people. But he, like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense that they, that they can't see like the progression that has been made under him. What they essentially want, what they're essentially asking for is for an oil billionaire to buy us. Because the only two clubs that have infiltrated the status quo of, which is Arsenal, United and Liverpool, who've won sort of everything in football history. They've got, they've got sort of 50 league titles between them or whatever it is, is our Chelsea and City. And that's because they had owners who didn't care about making money, which most owners do, not just Daniel Levy. They just they, they had a toy to play with and they're prepared to spend as much money as they possibly want as they wanted to in order to achieve their goals. And that's why City and Chelsea, who historically are not big clubs in any way, historically we're mu- we're a much bigger club than both of those. But since 2003, they've had the money to spend and that's what they've got. And it just seems like the fans are angry that we don't have that. So they want Levy out, but it, for who? Who comes in for Levy? Like he's not. It's not like there's there's a queue of people there. And when they do come, I mean, who do you want? Todd Bowley, mm. someone like that, who just spends 
like there's no tomorrow with no clear idea gives eight-year contracts to players. Like it's just that's just not a model that that we should be going for. Um, but in terms of the manager, yeah, the Stellini thing is so frustrating because we want like I wanted Conte gone. Forget all the politics because I care about the football. I wanted Conte gone because I'm tired of watching this sort of back foot football where we just sort of sit and wait wait for teams to make mistakes. I wanted I wanted to enjoy watching football again. And what we've done is just sort of give his his assistant who play who's obviously got the same ideas about football because he's only ever really been an assistant and he sort of learned from Conte. We've given him the job instead. So now we just have to continue to watch that football. And since he's the foot the football in the last two games against Everton and Brighton has been although we didn't lose either of those games, the football's the worst of that Brighton game, how we won that, is just incredible. It's just because of that because of Harry Kane being able to finish, because the football we play is just so awful to watch. Mm. And I want to see something. I want to see something different. I want to see something. Just, just take a risk. Like I don't know why even Stellini wouldn't say. Um, well, I know why because Stellini believes, like Conte did, that the style of football and the approach isn't wrong, and it really is. Well, you you, you joked about Deserby a moment ago. What, what did you what did you actually make of everything that happened? Because he's a yeah, he's a candidate that a lot of people have been very drawn to over the past few weeks. But did yeah. that put you off of him yesterday? No. His, his theatrics? No. I don't get what... There's a lot of, like, sort of top-level journalists who've gone, oh, well, he's failed his audition. I don't know why. He had something to say, so he said it. He didn't... Uh, he obviously... he's obviously, I think it's obviously been lost in translation because from what I understand, Stellini was fairly complimentary of him. But what he's essentially done is he's taken issue with the fact that he thought that Stellini was basically saying that the reason Brighton are doing well is because of what Potter did as opposed to what he did and that he's actually he's actually limited in his capabilities but look I was I always use Brighton as the example to well when Conte was in charge I always used Brighton as the example to say well Conte always used to go on about oh this is a process things don't just happen in a year and a half like it takes time etc etc and then I would be like, well, Deserby's been at Brighton for two months and they're playing unbelievable football. So how do you how do you level that when we, in my opinion anyway, have a much better squad than Brighton do? They've got some good players who I'd like, but in general, we've got a better, better squad than Brighton. So how come they can play this football, but we've been together with you for 16 months and we still look like we've never played together before? Like, he's obviously got something... Good. I would. I'll take him in heartbeat. I'll take anyone. Really interesting. I'll take anyone who plays progressive front foot football, where it's more important to them for for his, for his team to have the ball than it is to sit back. Because we've unfortunately we've had to watch that for three and a half years now, and it's just it's just soul destroying. It's more funny. Than anything. It's, it's interesting you say that though, because it, I'll be honest, it really put me off of him. Yes. Like, oh, okay. Just. Okay. It's mainly because I think that you're going to be under a lot of pressure at Tottenham. If he got the Tottenham job, he's going to be under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think to see him acting in that way under... I mean, I would say the whole occasion has gotten to him. He's sort of focused in on this apparent umbrage he, he had with 
what Christian Cellini said in the press conference, which was essentially, he's a good manager, but he inherited a good team. That's yeah. yeah, that's the shortened version of it. Yeah. But it feels to me that, you know, we're kind of neck and neck in the league. I think they could have leapfrogged us sooner had they won. It was like a real test for them. I don't think they'd beaten anybody in the something mad like the top half of the table or something this under him. Um, and it felt like it all just came to a bit of a head. And I, I think in a way, he's part of the reason that Brighton didn't win. And I, I, I think when we're talking about due diligence and that type of thing, I think if we've already seen that there as a red flag, it, it, it would then be kind of remiss of the of the Tottenham board to be like, Christ, we've just had Antonio Conte kicking off, and now we've got this guy who we we really like, and he does, like you say, he plays a lot of that progressive front foot football. He's obviously got a there's this there's let's say there's a there's a there's an air of Pochettino about him, right? There's a there's a I can see there's a similarity there. Yeah. So uh, that's obviously a big plus, but I. I that to me, see, that to me is it's not about failing auditions and stuff, but it just feels like it's it, it's a big risk now when it was should not when it should not be. This next appointment should really be one that you think that's a solid, smart appointment. You don't no, want that little flag there, you know. You're probably right. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously if, if he was if he was up against three or four other candidates, then that would obviously work against him. Um, I think maybe maybe my Feeling is just down to the fact that I am so desperate to yeah. just see something different. And we've got look, we've got eight games of the season left, and like I'm dreading all of them because of the way we play. Because we know we all know, and it, it's not just the game on Saturday. We have been we have been watching terrible football all season. We've hardly deserved any of our victories. To be mm. honest, it's we've just we're just lucky that we happen to have someone who takes his chances when he gets them nine times out of ten. Um, and obviously we've got Sonny who hasn't had a great season, but he's always capable of curling one. It that's not that goal he scored the other day isn't even a isn't even like a, a surprise because we're so no. used to seeing him do it. Um, so yeah, maybe it's down to that. I mean, I, I'm in the next manager. What I really want to see, and I think we've learned this. We obviously got two proven winners in, in inverted commas in uh, Mourinho and and Conte. Who I think we got them just after they were they. I think we got them after their best. We know Mourinho's past his best because he sort of proved that at United um, and Conte. I think is too. I think they're a little bit outdated. So I'd be really eager to make sure that the next manager we get is someone who with something to prove, who still cares so much, who what who sort of someone at the beginning of their career where they need to prove something. Like obviously, I dare to say it, like Arteta who's so desperate to prove himself. Um, Deserve is obviously in that mould. My heart wants Pochettino, but we don't know if we'll get the same Pochettino that came to Tottenham what's now nearly 10 years ago. Like, then he was eager to prove himself again. His ideas were fresh. He had a young squad to work with and he could mould into his way of thinking. Like, does he... He seems very... It's worrying. He seems very content at the moment with just... Travelling the world and walking his dog. I don't know if he's. Does seem like the... quite the life, though, doesn't it? That's it thing. does. It's brilliant, but you want you want someone who's unbelievably hungry yeah, to yeah. make it work, don't you? Obviously, that's a fair play to him, but you just hope that his motivation is still there, as it would have been sort of nearly ten years ago. Um, people who are sort of obsessed with the game, 
still, and he he's obviously he had a bit of time off that he went to PSG, um, and then it's been nearly a year since since then, and you know he's had offers, so you want to you want to believe that it's. He's, he's, the reason he hasn't worked yet is because he's dying to get the Tottenham job. But well, this is it, because I'm, I'm always going to make the case of Pochettino because it's the best football I've ever watched. It's the best times I've ever had at Spurs. I'm saying, well, I'm a year older than you. I'm 38, and we can both say it's, it's the best we've ever had. Like, oh, Yol was good. Redknapp was good fun as well. Like, And those are two examples in what I think, anyway, where it's great. But that Pochettino era, we've, we've all spoken about this at great length, but... Again, just to make that point that he had us actually believing. You know, he had Tottenham. He had not just Tottenham fans, but fans of other clubs suddenly taking notice of Spurs. Yeah, you know? yeah. We, we were respected again, weren't we? Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's not happened since. No, and like, but like you said, because I, I think it's 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 a very interesting point you raised because I hadn't really thought of it in that way. I, I guess I, I it got my back up when I'd heard that you know it's ITK stuff, but it it, it seems to be the world's worst kept secret that Donna Cullen is not a big fan of Pochettino and the the quote that's been attributed to her is that he's apparently lost his mojo and what you're saying there is that you can kind of you do get that vibe like you say he's seems to be quite happy traveling around having big meals with his family and just kind of living the life now you know he'll be a multiple millionaire <laughs> he'll have enough money yeah, I mean, it's, to it's last a lifetime you know, it's easy to understand why that. Yeah. Why someone would? I mean, I would do that. Yeah. I wouldn't have. The, why would you need? What? Who needs the stress? Because I mean, effectively, once you football managers, as we know, their their family take a back seat when they're in the job. Their life is is all is sort of all about the football. So yeah. But like um, you say, I can imagine it. You know, it's like in in those old sort of you know those movies where you can see the the start that superstar detectives retired and suddenly this big case has come up and somebody from the precinct will come and ask are you going to get back involved again and he's like nope nope I've left that life behind me and then his wife later on that evening sees him washing the plates staring into the (laughs) distance do you know what I mean it's that yeah yeah, we'd love love to yeah where 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 she's like go on go you've still got some sort of a calling there and I wonder if Spurs and Pochettino just will meet in the middle there where he's suddenly thinking, I'm too young for this yet. I, I still want to I want to win that Champions League. But why hasn't it happened though? Why hasn't it? Why is, I mean, he's it's not like he's not available. That's what I'm worried. Like, why hasn't Because I, I, I do reckon there are probably are these concerns within the club that when I'm not being... When I'm not being biased about it, you are kind of like, well, I can see why business people, people who have, you know, there's... It's a bit. It's a multiple billion pound industry that their decisions are riding upon, right? And yeah. I can see why. You know, somebody who's on our board of directors probably isn't even a Spurs fan. They're not going to be sat there being, "Oh, Pochettino gave me some of the best moments of my life as a Spurs no, fan." Exactly. They're exactly. looking at the bottom line and saying, "Well, this this guy, he did all right at PSG, but it didn't go that well there, and it kind of went to shit in the last month of him, last year of him." working for us previously and maybe there were a few cross words exchanged who knows you know personal grudges do play a part in this type of thing you know we don't we don't know what's gone on there so I guess I can see it but I also think as we were saying there it's not just an emotional decision right this is a guy who does know the club 
He's not going to come in here with expectations that, oh, I've heard that Spurs act in this way, but I'm sure once I'm in there, I can be the one to change this yeah. kind of thing, which I kind of feel that Conte probably was a bit, right? I oh, don't know 100%. what vision he was sold, but I think it's probably partly a vision that he was sold and partly him and his own ego thinking, I can change the way these lot do things. And you can see by the end, he's like, no, I fucking can't. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do wonder if it, like those things surely have to come into into consideration. Like since since we did have last have Pochettino employed as well, he has won stuff now. So that that kind of thing is off his back, right? Yes. That that's that lingering sense that he might be the problem. You're like, well, PSG team or not, he he did win stuff with them. He did okay. So you know yeah. he achieved par. Let's let's put it that way. So you'd imagine if he's a man that's capable of doing that. You know, if Parr at Tottenham is, say, third to sixth place in the league, you'd back him to do that. And then if we look at what happened the last time, build upon... I don't know. I, I'm always going to make this case for Pochettino, mate, but at the moment, I just can't really see who else it can be. No, I don't think... because like, Mainly because the only other strong candidate is Nagelsmann, and I don't think that he's going to come to Tottenham. No. Because he sees, from what everything I hear, and everything I read, he sees himself as a manager of top-level elite clubs. And we aren't at... We're not a Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, like, as much as some people would like to make out that we think we are. We know we're not. We're the tier below that. I heard, I've got, I heard us compared to Bayer Leverkusen by a German journalist the other day, which is absolute nonsense. Um, but we're, we're, we're a sort of Dortmund-level club, do you know what I mean? And he's, he's obviously... It would be Bayern Munich to Tottenham is a step down. There's no two ways about it. You can... The, the, obviously, you would say as well that in terms of sort of spending capability, that PSG to Tottenham is also a step down, but Pochettino has the emotional reason to be at Tottenham. And he's also openly said that he wants to come back to Tottenham at some point. So, I mean, everything everything for me points in his direction simply because of that. We, my, my hope is that he doesn't want to take over mid-season because... I mean, a lot of those those players he, he probably wanted rid of four years ago. Um, Eric Dyer in particular, because I vividly remember that in the All or Nothing documentary, uh, Dyer spoke to Mourinho at the beginning of it and basically said that he was looking for a way out of the club because Pochettino wasn't really engaging with him anymore. Um, so Pochettino saw what a lot of us are seeing now and I'm sure that Pochettino, if he returned, would be devastated by the idea of having to sort of play, start his games with a lot of the players that he wanted rid of four years ago. Um, because he said, obviously, the painful rebuild, we need new furniture, all of that sort of stuff. And he was obviously right. I think that Daniel Levy, more than, more than anything, will see sacking Pochettino as probably his biggest ever mistake because what's happened since has only been downhill. Um and if he'd stuck with Pochettino and funded him the way that he's funded Mourinho and Conte, we probably wouldn't be in this situation. But on Pochettino's side, he obviously, it's easy to forget this because everything's, once things have, a few years have passed, it's easy to forget. But he, for the last sort of three or four months there, he was calling out Daniel Levy and the yeah. board quite often in press conferences. He obviously made that 
he he made that point that he he shouldn't be referred to as the manager anymore. That he should be that he's just the coach. He doesn't have anything to do with transfers. And I'm sure that if he did come back, then it would be under the condition that he has a much bigger say in who comes into the club, and they should listen to him because. I just always think this. Obviously, it's a foreign sort of structure that they employ in Italy a lot. But this whole idea of a a manager, especially if you're going to call him a manager, not getting to choose who comes into the club, and that it be, it's being chosen by someone else who isn't on the training pitch, is just bizarre to me. And it, it doesn't seem to work very often. I don't think not not when it comes to teams with with sort of consistent success. You can guarantee that Guardiola. Has a say, has the biggest say in all the ma- all the players that come to City. You can guarantee that Klopp has um, the biggest say in anyone who comes to Liverpool. Sir Alex Ferguson definitely did it at uh, uh, United, and Wenger definitely did it at Arsenal. So those are the four exa- the only four real examples we've got of consistent success within a club, and all of them had managers that made the decisions when it came to players. Um, so I think that they should give Poch a little. Give Poch the job, give him a little bit more say in who comes into the club. And there's the nucleus, this is what kills me, is people make it out like the, the team's just so shit. But there's the nucleus there of a great squad with the right manager. The really, I'm even thinking about the people who are out on loan. I was getting starting to get excited about Brian Hill when he, when we played yeah, Palace. Brilliant. Against Palace, he was brilliant. And then just the most typical Conte thing ever, drops him, doesn't play him again. He was he was the reason we won that game four 0 Is this, no one else saw, would see that pass or would even attempt to make that quick pass into Kane for that second goal he scored? Um, yeah, I think Hill, uh, maybe not under Bele, but Lacelso, even Regulon. I'll t- take Regulon over any of our current left backs. Um, so yeah, I think there's the nucleus of a great squad that I really believe that if Pochettino does have the right frame of mind and is still motivated that he could do wonders with it. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mate, we've sort of, you know, we've, we've, as chat has naturally progressed, we've kind of started at the end of, at least the way I sort of saw this program, we haven't even spoken about the Brighton game itself. And I think it's probably probably out that we do that now. I mean, there's we've hinted at how how we managed to get that one over the line. It's um you know, I I <laughs> I hate to go fully tin foil on this type of stuff, but I do I kind of feel for Brighton, you know? I, they've had their apology afterwards. 
that's not going to mean much to them. And the kind of cause, I think, I'm not sure if the club has officially asked for a replay or not, but oh, that, that, I know that type of stuff. So just, you've got to get over it. Whether it's a bad decision or not, you know, you've got to get over it. We've had to, happens to everybody. But it did feel, it felt quite dodgy to me. Anyway, and I'm not, I'm not going to have a speculate about corruption or anything in, in, in the Premier League. But if we to at least touch on VAR and how fit for purpose or not, we think oh. it is. I mean, where where are you at with it? I hate it so much. I always I hated it so much at the beginning when it first came in that I was thinking of giving up football altogether. It was just driving me insane. Like it's, but we've obviously got now. Obviously, over time we've got used to it and now we've accepted that it's part of the game. But the fact is that it doesn't clear up anything. We've just got different referees making mistakes that aren't on the pitch, and. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for Brian because no one ever feels no, no one ever no, feels sorry for Spurs. Nobody so, felt sorry for when Sissoko hadn't handballed no, in twenty. Or Pedro, or Pedro Mendes yeah. five yards over the low, line at Old Trafford all those years ago. So no one ever feels sorry for us. So yeah, well, I think the uh, other thing though that's, that's so widely overlooked because we can talk about the the officials and such and how it's. There's still an element for for just increased human error, right? That's that's the whole issue of VAR. It doesn't fix that. Things like Hawkeye or whatever, the the line technology, fine. That that's a that's an app user technology. That because that's not it's it's an objective decision. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Whereas we're, we're still in this thing of like, oh well, we've got video assisted referees because I always assumed really that what VAR was going to be in this sense was not something we just call upon constantly. It's going to be there for those instances that we've seen all through the years watching football yeah. when the referee is up in one end of the pitch, he's looking at something, and back behind him in the other half of the pitch, you've got the striker and the defender still having a bit of afters with each other, and one of them slaps the other one around the face. And mm. that can get missed because the referee's looking up. Somebody can buzz him and say, right, matey over there has just hit the other one he needs to be sent off. Yeah, yeah. And we can get on with the game. But this weird kind of thing that we have now where we basically have a referee on field and this team of referees watching something going on at the same time and making these decisions that effectively override the referee on the field but of course not officially because he's still the one in control it's yeah it's all just very messy isn't it it just it ruins the, the spectacle completely and it, i mean what what always m- makes me laugh is that when when there's these really obvious ones like obviously hoiberg's stamped on Matoma's foot in the penalty area. It was so obvious that every, even, unless you've got like a really obvious bias to one team or the other as a fan, everyone in, in those instances comes together and agrees. But somehow the referees get it wrong. It's not like it's an up-in-the-air decision. The vast majority of these decisions, every, all, when you go on Twitter, the vast every all the fans from different clubs all tend to agree on it. So they all can come to a conclusion. But... The the refs just not it's not even reading the room. Like how can they look at that and not give a penalty? There's no there's there's not even a one percent chance that that's not a penalty. You can only imagine the only reason could be well two reasons. One that they're looking at them too quickly and didn't see it, which is not possible because they spend like two minutes on every one. Or that that is an example of not wanting wanting to take away the referee's authority on the pitch and they don't want to do it. Um, that's the only two reasons I could give for it. But more than whenever I get into the conversation about VAR, 
and I I am I hate it. Obviously, I've accepted it, but I hate it. Is why don't they weigh up the pros and cons? And the the pros are that it might get the odd decision right, and it is the odd decision right that the referee hasn't got right. And the cons are a long, long list, including it takes away all the energy from the game. It makes players feel like they can't celebrate. It makes fans feel like they can't celebrate. Well, well this is the it, point I was going to make. You know, it's, it's, Have you really honestly felt, Sean, since VAR's come in, that you get that same spark watching football anymore? Because I, I always have no. in the back of my head, better not go too mad over no. this one because VAR. It's killed far more than people speak about it's it's taken and i feel like the wrong people are speaking about it because most of the people who talk about this are sort of pundits who sit in studios when you're in a stadium like unless it's a shot from distance where you can normally sort of expect that it's going to be given like the energy that gets sucked out of a state like we obviously we've benefited massively from a big var call very early in its time away at the Etihad in the Champions League. So, and that gave me one of the best moments I've ever had in football. So you have to weigh up, weigh it up. And that was obviously an incredible moment when the offside got given at the end of that game and we ended up going through. But um, when you look at the big picture, it's just so, it's just hard to explain. Like obviously, because we've become immune to it now because we're so used to it and it's been three or four years. But we don't celebrate goals the way that we used to. I don't celebrate goals the way I used to for two reasons. Because one, because Tottenham are just playing such bad football that I'm already in a bad mood by the time we score. And the second bit is obviously you just never... There's been goals ruled out where you've I've thought in my head, like, there's no way that's going to get ruled out. And it's like they're looking for reasons to do it. I, and that's what kills me. Like, that, that sport, the sport in Lisbon game, is the worst example. It was I horrible. Have of it, it was horrible. Which was just like such an unbelievable moment, and like who knows where that, what would have happened after that? And Conte ended up getting himself sent off. Like those big moments, like they make a big difference to people, and that was an unbelievable thing. And then the audacity of the referees to just <laughs> suck all that life out of the stadium, and then for the like it's if it's in doubt, then just give the goal because that's what football's about. But I mean. I mean, this is a pretty futile conversation anyway because they're not going to get rid of it. No, no, it's here to stay. It's here to stay it's now. Forever. That's, yeah. that's, that's part of the problem, really. It's just kind of wailing into the void, isn't it? That yeah. So much of football feels like it's it's become, really. I guess it was important to, to highlight that because without VAR, Spurs would have lost that game against... 4-1, probably. And <laughs> on the balance of play... That wouldn't have really felt unfair to us either. I no. I got called negative for my kind of thoughts after the game, but I wasn't I wasn't trying to be negative. I was just essentially trying to make the point that Spurs lost that game. They they did. I know I know we 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 won. We've got the three points, but it wasn't a good performance. Was so, it for the best? It just it, was know. it for the best that we. That that's obviously you can't. You obviously. Get, you know, it's like blasphemous to, to say that you want Spurs to lose a game. And obviously, I don't want Spurs to lose a game. But if we had lost that game 4 1, maybe something would get, maybe something would happen. Maybe the manager would get changed. Sometimes a loss might actually be the best thing for you because all that win does is 
keep people in a job who I don't believe are deserving of the job. And that's what it's done. We've won. Brilliant. Like, we've got Bournemouth at home next week, so we're more than likely going to win that as well. Um, but then I, I would be shocked beyond belief if we go to St James's Park and get anything other than battered because that's just an atmosphere that I don't reckon our players are capable of handling at the moment. So I don't. I obviously didn't want us to lose, but if we had been beaten 4-1, the rest of the season might actually look brighter than it does, as, as weird as that sounds. And also if Arsenal weren't top of the table, I do think that's a that's a big part of it as well. You know? Yeah, it's making us work. It's making it... Every, every loss or every letdown is obviously compounded by the fact that when you look at the table which I don't like really doing anymore just because you see Arsenal at the top of it, is uh, it's going to make it feel a lot worse. But, yeah, you look at Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good context though, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's needed perspective sometimes for all of us, for myself included. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the worst offenders against Brighton for, for me and probably one of the worst offenders for the past few games is Pierre Mohoibier. Um, I thought we had a particularly ropey game. Yeah, and I get, I get that he's he is always going to be a temptation for managers. His work rate, his determination. He's clearly got something of a fighting spirit there. But I mean, am I am I being hot? It just feels like he's just not. He's not at that level for a team that wants to be. I don't see him in in the team of any other team above us. I don't see no. him at Arsenal or. You know, or could he? You know, just, we just no, he said that of Shaka a few years ago, though. To be fair, yeah, so, yeah, you know. true. Yeah, look, he's got some. Look, Oiberg's got something. Look, and he had an awful game, but he also picked out a pass that I think a lot yeah. of people might not have picked out um, at the time. It's he's an easy target for a lot of people. I'm not really sure why. I think that two is hit. Declan Rice said nobody likes you, which I can only imagine means that in the football community, he's like sort of a, an, an easy target for them as well, but. Um, I've I've been a defender of his a lot over the over the last couple of years, but I'm now starting to think with some context again. He looks he's a much better player when Benson Gore's playing alongside him because he's able to do the things that he's good at, and he isn't he isn't relied on to sort of start attacks as much, which is sort of more Benson Gore's job. Um, I've, I've always found I've found always found it bizarre that since Ben Cork got injured, that it's been Skip and Hoiberg because to me they're the same player. Like there's not there's no which makes both of them look worse than they are. I think because they don't I don't think they complement each other very well. I think if Saar was in there or if they dared as I've wanted them to do for a long time to go to a midfield three and play all three of them, I think he actually might look better. But no, if we if we have aspirations of getting back to where we were under Pochettino, then he can't be. I mean, all you have to do is look at our midfield then to now and it's like hurts your eyes, doesn't it? Mm. You think about Moussa, if, if Hoiberg is today's Moussa Dembele, then that's a sad state of affairs because <laughs> there's just there's no comparison between the two. I get why it feels harsh to, to talk in this way, but, you know, we have... <laughs> We've seen, like you say, the likes of Mr. Dembele, Victor Wanyama, even playing just a yeah. couple of years ago, and I mean, Hoybio isn't close to. Close I mean, Ericsson, to even Ericsson, Ericsson played in our midfield three plenty of times. So we're talking about people who are real ball players, and Hoyberg, 
does good things sometimes, but he gives the ball away so often and he never looks... He's not pro, he's he sort of reacts to things. He's not yeah. got a football brain that I see. He does pick out a good pass and he scored at that goal. I couldn't believe he scored that goal against Marseille. And he's he's chipped in with a few goals. And he is a decent Premier League player. Yeah, but he's he not, like you said, he wouldn't get close to Arsenal's midfield, City's midfield, Liverpool's midfield. And those are the teams that we're supposed to be sort of aspiring to to beat. But at the same time, we've been unlucky because I believe if Basuma was playing under a different manager and hadn't had so many injuries and obviously Bentoncourt hadn't been injured, then I don't then I think Hoiberg would more than likely be a squad player by now. But it, he's they don't really have a choice when it comes to playing him. What have you um, uh, what have you made of Pedro Porro's Tottenham career so far? He had a, he had a different I went I was at Leicester um, when we lost four one and he I was like, oh my God. Maybe he only looked good because he was playing against Spurs in those Champions League games because he was he was awful. But I love his... One thing that, I, that stuck out to me is that he's got a real personality and that's what we need in that team. He's got personality, he's got enthusiasm. He's, still, he's, he's in a new league at the end of the day and the Portuguese league and, and the Premier League are not even comparable in terms of the teams you play every week. They've got some decent teams in there, but... Seventy-five percent of those of those teams in Portugal and would be in League One um, in England. So it's it's taken him some time to get used to to the pace of the game and the fact that you don't have too much time on the ball. But he's got a great cross on him. He's fast, and yeah, I think he'll, I think he'll end up being really good for us. Um, but he's just been inconsistent because he's because he's new to the league. I think, and I also think it doesn't help that he's come into a team with and sort of a lot of instability when it comes to the manager and I mean in his first two games he was playing his, on his debut he, he played against Leicester on the right obviously and he had Jaffik Tanganga starting alongside him mm. who hadn't played hardly at all for for sort of a year and never plays on the right of the back three and that was who he was playing alongside so you can't judge him on that because Certainly, Tanganga's fallen off a cliff. And in the second game, he started, uh, I think it was Sheffield United away, which was obviously a disaster. He had uh, calamitous Davinson Sanchez next to him. So um, I think he's improved, yeah. How about you? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I do. I think the main thing is, is, is his inconsistency. And I said that and I, I caught a few strays for it. I wasn't exactly saying that the, the kid should be kicked out of the club. Right? Yeah, I, I saw just, that. I yeah, did, I, did I just noticed that, yeah. that he's, he's quite inconsistent. Um, and I think the it's just my rational brain says that he all the things that you say there are true. That he's young, he's in a new league. He's it's been a pretty tumultuous time for the team as well, where we're struggling for identity and morale is low. So he does need some some kind of courtesy time extended to him yeah but I just it's just annoying I've just got that bratty side of me that's just like why can't it just like be easy just yeah just why can't we just fall into it yeah it do you know like why can't we just sign that player like and he's just good you know <laughs> like yeah it's, it's, why it's a little bit caveated this this but this team and by this team I mean the team since Pochettino Mourinho and and Conte's team players who started off looking great 
have got worse. Yeah, yeah. Reg- I said Sergio Reguilon's my perfect example of that because he was so exciting when he first came and he was swinging in crosses for, for Kane. He was getting assists. I remember he assisted uh, Gareth Bale's first goal back with that header. Yeah, he right. assisted Kane against West. He looked great. And then by the end of that first full season under Mourinho, he scored that unbelievable own goal against Villa. And he just looked he just looked like a completely different player, like his like his confidence, all his natural instinct had been ripped out of him by two managers who I've said it plenty of time on my blog, they they want you to be robots in their system. They're not they're not, they're not there for free expression, they're not there for you using your intuition. You have to play the game this way, my way. That's the only way you should play it. And that's that's affected, it's definitely affected Basuma. Basuma's I don't want. I don't like that people are judging Basuma already because if you know anything about Conte and the way he wants central midfielders to play and what he said himself, Basuma had a lot to learn. Apparently, the same Basuma that completely ran all over his Tottenham twice last season, he was effectively saying had a lot to learn in the way that he wants him to play football. And what we've seen as a result of that is just sort of a a sort of watered down version of him. And the same applies to to so many people. And Ndombele is obviously polarised his opinion, but he's another one who was never going to survive under Conte because he is all about instinct and picking out a pass that no one else saw and taking it round people. And, I mean, football isn't supposed to be just about rigidity. I want to enjoy it. And, yeah, Ndombele sort of... You could say he's lazy. He, he obviously appears it by the way that he sort of trudges around the pitch. But in his last game for Conte, if you, if you remember, it was the 2-2 draw at home to Liverpool um, when we it was like in between all those COVID cancellations um, and Deli Alley played. That was the best we've played football in, yeah. in God knows how long because he didn't have any other choice but to play sort of Deli Alley and... and um, and Undenbele in central midfield. It's just uh, not going to go away, that one, until we actually sell him, is it, Undenbele? Because there's there's plenty of cases to be made either way as to you know if he should or shouldn't be starting. But I think I generally tend to land on, as much as I understand there's many reasons why you won't want to play him, the Morecambe walk-off, all that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still got that Berbatoffy type silkiness to him yeah. that I like watching when it's good oh, it's, so, it's so really good, good. he scored only, on his debut he was like one of the most exciting midfielders in yeah. Europe before we signed him you know? it's only midfield it's only um, it's only modern day football that stops players like that from getting like from being heroes I genuinely mean that because if you look back at old football there was there was a lot more acceptance of players who didn't run around and get 12 kilometres a game in their stats. There was a lot more acceptance for players like, let's say, David Ginola, who whose creativity was worth the fact that you lost him in certain places on the pitch. Ronaldo, like in modern day football, would Ronaldo have, have got to the heights he did? But like, I genuinely mean it because now everyone's... The moment you see someone not sprinting around... The entire game, they get criticised because they don't put the work in. And I think with a lot of managers that creative players are sort of are left on the bench in order for someone who's nowhere near as talented, but who runs around like a headless chicken. And I think with the Bellets, 
if you if Mbembele was a player in the nineties, I think he'd be a lot more respected than he is now. Um, yeah. Speaking of players who probably should be a lot more respected, mate, we couldn't end this podcast without giving a nod to 100 Premier League goal hero, Hummin Son. What an absolute way to to seal that as well. Um, he's had his problems this year, right? But where does he where does he rank for you? Because to me, he's a he's a club legend, right? He he is now. Yeah. My dog's called my dog's called Sonny. Oh, there so, you go. Because of that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I've thought about changing his name a few times this year. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where where does he rank for you, mate? In the sort of the 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 grand halls of Tottenham attacking talent. Yeah, he's got he's right he's right up there, isn't he? I mean, in terms of Premier, I mean, his stats say it all. My my before Harry Kane came on, my favourite striker uh, striker was always Jermaine Defoe. Um, but Sonny's Sonny's not even a striker, and he's gonna, and he scored and he scored five more goals in one season than Jermaine Defoe ever did, and that that says it all about him really, and it, and it's the type of goals he scored as well. I the Spurs YouTube channel put the a thirty five minute video of all his Premier League goals up um, yesterday, and I watched it, and even though you've seen them all before, you just forget that. 30 to 40% of all his goals have come from outside the area and they're like unbelievable. And like I said, that game, that goal on on Saturday, it didn't it, it didn't even like get me off my seat because you've seen him do it that exact thing so many times. I don't think I've ever seen another player who's able to sort of, even though you know what he's going to do, he puts it in the top corner every time. It's never down the middle. It's always like in the very corner of the net. And that's just an unbelievable skill to have. So, yeah, he's this season he's let himself down because it's not just that he hasn't been scoring goals. He's not he's he's been lazy a lot of the time. I've watched him, especially from the stands, where you just see him and you think, "Why are you strolling around? He's sul- he's sulking. Something's getting to him." But that can't take away from the fact that for f- the five years previous to that, he's just been. Unbelievable! Like you, I, people, this is my one of my biggest um, things when I try and talk about the the Pochettino days and why he should be brought back. People might forget this, but f- there was a there was a good period of time where people used to say that Spurs were a better team without Harry Kane in it under Pochettino. There was an argument, and that was simply because Son used to accept, when Kane wasn't playing, Son used to just take the lead, and he would go and score the goals for Spurs especially in that Champions League uh, final season. Um, and that takes a lot for someone to say that that's why that's what I mean about Pochettino. Like he created a team, like under the, the next two managers we've had, we've been basically called, said that without Harry Kane, we're nothing. But under Pochettino, they, there, was a, there was an argument people were making to say that Spurs were a better team without Harry Kane. So that, that's a, a glowing endorsement of Pochettino. But back to Sonia, he's a... He's got to be, in terms of my favourites, because some favourites don't necessarily align with statistics, in terms of my favourites, he's probably looked fourth or fifth. But in terms of quality of Premier League player we've had, he's got to be number two, I think. He has to be off. He has to come second to Harry, only to Harry Kane. In terms of quality, I've, I've obviously got a soft spot for Teddy Sheringham, yeah. even Jürgen Klinsmann, Dembele, Bale, but... Yeah, no one's made an impression on the Premier League like Son other than Kane. 
just what a sensation he's been. It's hammered home when you hear first Asian player to win the Premier League Golden Boot, first Asian player to have 100 Premier League goals, highest ranked finish by an Asian player in Ballon d'Or history, eight times best footballer in Asia winner. And another stat that somebody else has said that there are only three players still active who have achieved 100 goals and 50 assists in the Premier League at Salah, Sterling and Son. Um, and there's only 19 players in Premier League history who have achieved that feat. So he, he, I, I, I've sort of said before in the solo pods that I feel that he does... There's a, there's, a, there's a temptation to say he gets somewhat overshadowed by Kane, but I still default back to the idea that they've made one another better. You know, they've formed this iconic partnership, this iconic duo where it hasn't quite worked this year, but prior to this, for the past two, three years, they've looked telepathic. You know, the pair yeah, of them have just been absolutely unbelievable. You think about that Villa away game last year. It was absolutely mind-blowing, you know, yeah. seeing that sort of partnership in full flow then. Um, and, and also what I want to say about him is that he signed a new contract at Spurs when it would have been very easy. He signed this new contract in the same summer that Kane was pushing for a move. It would have been very easy for him to have jumped on the Kane bandwagon because you know any club in Europe would have had him at the time and he committed to the club. So we have to give him a lot of credit for that because he, he could have gone anywhere. He could have done and I just think he I'd like to see him see out his career at Spurs to be honest it, it doesn't mean it's in the current capacity now but I do think that this year has shown for me that we just need to learn how to use him now sort of approach the tail like the last stage of his career now maybe mm -hmm. a bit differently yeah come to understand that he's not the dynamic up and down the wing player that he was four, five, six years ago that he's, got, yeah, he's gotten older now. You can see the same things I keep saying has happened with Salah at Liverpool. I was you know, watching those two yesterday playing Arsenal-Liverpool and just thinking, God, Salah just isn't... He's not no. that scary player he yeah, was a couple course. of years ago. And you, you, notice that you notice it a lot more in players that are sort of recognised for their pace. Yeah. Like Harry Kane's never had pace, so he will sort of age like a fine wine yeah. because he's not going to lose. But once... But if you're a player who's always been about pace, then you have to obviously adapt your game a lot more, I think, than you than maybe Harry Kane would. I guess just in closing, Sean, what do you want to see Spurs do for the for the rest of this year? Are you because I think top four is done, right? Or do you think I'm being pessimistic? Do you reckon we can still get there? Um, I've looked at our fixtures, and obviously, like we got Bournemouth at home next week, so you would you would hope that we'd we'd win that and. Newcastle have got Villa away, which isn't easy. United are away to Forest. If if they lost those two games, which I don't believe they will, and we won, you'd start to believe you'd start to you start to have hope. But I don't realistically think that that we're going to go to St James's Park or Anfield and get much because although we did last year, we're not the same team that we were last year, unfortunately. And that we, we all, I went to Anfield last year and we were brilliant and we should have won the game, really. But I just hope we don't get beat 7-0. <laughs> um, it's really... They're awful away from home, Liverpool, and great at home. So I, I look at our fixtures. We've got Leeds on the last day away who could be fighting for relegation. Like, even though Palace did win their 5-1 yesterday, to be fair. But that's not an easy place to go anyway. I'd, I'd be surprised. Um... But yeah, I just want us to finish 
ideally I want us to finish the season with an idea of what next season is going to look like. I don't want to spend all summer worrying if we're going to be starting with Davinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer and and uh, Ben Davis as a back three again. So just some just some optimism. I just want the club to give us some optimism, even if it's to appoint a manager for next season, just something to give us an idea that this isn't going to carry on for much longer. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>